Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. My name, Michael David Clay, Dr. Michael David Clay. Uh, again, like to uh, welcome you to today's podcast. Uh, I was in a conversation the other day. Um, patient um, discussing their circumstances. Uh, their circumstances, of course, uh, just presumptive. Uh, they would come see me. Their circumstances weren't ideal or the best. And uh, so we're talking about it, uh, discussing all the difficulties, um, how things have kind of turned to chaos. And uh, in my uh, empathy and acknowledgement of understanding uh, <laughs> his circumstances, I mentioned uh, it's too bad we don't live in utopia. <laughs> and he said, Utopia, where's that? Ah, uh, da dum dum. <laughs> Uh, that is partially true, uh, but the partial truth of it is not necessarily that the conversation didn't take place or that I didn't mention utopia. The person understood. He understood what I was trying to say. But, but the, the greater reality of all that is, is really that's a good question. Where is utopia? Is it, is it on the other side of the world? Is it a different planet? Uh, is it a state of mind? Um, we call it many, many different names, um, at least in human regard and terms, uh, but I like that, that notion, uh, that idea. Where is utopia? Well, there isn't one. <laughs> Sorry to uh, disappoint and disillusion anyone. There is no such place. I don't care who you are. I don't care what nationality you come from. I don't care um, what education level you've received. I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, how tall you are, how short you are, if that doesn't sound terrible to say it that way. Whether you're a man, a woman, or even a child, you might even be an animal. Probably animals know better. <laughs> know this, the better. There is no such thing as utopia. Get it out of your mind. <laughs> Don't even go there, as if you could. <laughs> there is no such place. If you're chasing after utopia, you're insane. There's way, way, way too many reasons why. That isn't going to happen, the least of which is it isn't the natural order of things. The natural order of things is chaos. Get that, folks. The natural order of things is constant destruction so that there would be an element of recreation or recreation. There is death so that there might therefore be resurrection. That is the natural order. If there is iniquity and sin in humankind, it is somehow wanting to believe that isn't reality. There is no utopia. There is a Garden of Eden, and the earth does not have to be hell in all of the things I'm saying. But that's why it's necessary to frame it by the word of God. His word establishes a paradigm. And a paradigm basically is a way of thinking. And it's more than just a way of thinking, because that almost sounds like any way of thinking. Fall into that category. It is the divine order of things. Now, certainly God created the natural to be the way it is. And there's nothing lesser... <laughs> in that sort of way, because God created it, than anything else that we might know. If there is a lesser dimension to the material, it would only be in comparison to the spiritual, and therein only because the spiritual doesn't have all of this chaos. There is no death in spiritual regards. Why? Because it's not subject to material rules. But that doesn't mean that the material goes without order, and 
The order is chaos. It is anarchy if it weren't for, again, the paradigm, the God paradigm, the intention, the word of God, how he frames it, what it means, what its intent and purpose is. Now, it's hard to separate our thoughts, human thoughts, from God's thoughts when it comes to such things as these because unless we know the Holy Spirit, as with Jesus Christ, as with being born again or reborn, as with accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, that he was indeed the Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is salvation unto us. It is the word of life as is the word of God. But unless we would know that, we're left with trying to come up with our best explanations, our best devices. Now, it is true that from the conception of humankind, all the way going back to the garden, as with, again, the Word of God, as with the God paradigm, as with the Old and New Testament, as with the mind of God and combined with the New Testament, the mind of Christ, Adam was created and given something that could be sort of seen as construed to be utopia. <laughs> it seemed perfect. And it isn't that there isn't in any particular moment some degree of perfection, wholeness, completion, and there should be an element of contentment and peace that goes with that. But it doesn't last long. <laughs> it is but a moment. Now, you can try to live in the moment, and that's good advice, sound wisdom. I'm pretty sure it's biblical. But at the same time, the moment that you step out of the moment, you're back into all the chaos and the anarchy. And with that, as much as, again, I do not want any of our listeners, my listeners, to misconstrue what I'm saying, God is not a God of chaos. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is absent this God paradigm, Old and New Testament, the mind of God in Christ, the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us, it's going to be. <laughs> Why? Because humans have absolutely no capacity to understand really where peace is. Contentment really lies. It is not a material thing. It is a spiritual thing. Thus, if you remove God from the equation, you don't consider him, you don't consider his word, you're either agnostic or atheistic in your orientation. You do not have a God paradigm you do not believe in a higher power. You do not believe in the Old Testament law. You do not believe in the New Testament application or manifestation of that with forgiveness unto salvation, not for the sakes of the hereafter or the eternal, but to get us through what we're living in now, which is, without God, utter, complete, total anarchy and chaos. Now, I didn't know exactly where it was in this conversation. I was going to say this very thing, but now seems to be a good time. No God, capital G, no peace, period. You remove God, and it's going to be hell. That's what hell is. So... Where is utopia for all of those who are thinking they could make it up, who do not understand the word of God and this basic reality? There is no such utopia in material dimensions, and the only way we find anything close to it, the peace that passeth understanding, as by word, is in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the word of God as written, but also the word of God as proceeds forth from the Holy Spirit 
who is rejuvenized, brought back to that place of prominence by our acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior. I say rejuvenized, brought back, not because anyone lost might even begin to care about the Holy Spirit, more so enjoy that relationship that brings us again life, as would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in the again hereafter, once more hereafter, but in the present tense, the here and now while we're still in material dimensions. But a person who does not have any interest in God, even if or as, I should say, the Holy Spirit would be still inside some residual or remnant working on their behalf, they're not going to pay attention to it. They're not going to listen intently, especially if it is more intuitive than it is something that they otherwise construct out of some bodily dimension of psychology, emotions, or admixture of the two. We are emotional creatures. We have psychological operations. And I do believe, too, there is a developmental milestone of spirituality. That does not really mean the Holy Spirit that is all human, humanistically based. But the idea, though, is unless you understand the need for God and his framing the world so we don't uh, fall into the abyss, the pit of hell, so to speak, even as we are in this material dimension, more so within eternal sort of considerations or conceptualizations, we will fall in without the word of God. It is bound to happen. We are a self-destructive bunch. And it's pretty difficult to convince someone who's had it easy, who's not known hell, what it really looks like and seems like. Because the real myth that goes along with this idea of a utopia that we could somehow humanly create is that it lies in total freedom where there is absolutely no rules. You can't get there. Why? Because the human nature, which is, again, quite calibrated by God's intention to function in human dimension, needs itself some modification or correction, lest in its inability our basic raw human nature to understand all that is God, all that is, uh, as we would be talking about it on the podcast, the way God thinks about, the way that God goes about bringing order to our chaos, if we can't see it, we're going to end up falling prey to it. There's no way around it. Short version is, if you're spoiled, never knew a rule or law, you do not have any idea how to govern not only the natural elements outside of yourself, except by, unfortunately, this sort of natural order or instinct inside of humankind. And without God, we really aren't much more than animals. We need to understand how the Word of God not only frames existence, reality for us, but it brings us into proper alignment so that we can get along with one another. The human nature is to kill. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. I know that that is not the end. It is not a sound doctrine Darwinism, natural selection, in the sense that that will result in any sort of either good life now, preservation of our soul and spirit now, more so, again, in eternal dimensions. But it does capture what goes on in the natural order of things. It's animalistic. We will ultimately kill one another off. Because when everyone does what they think is right, you're bound to bang into each other. Somebody is going to control the chaos. 
Humans do not live very well in chaos. Now, maybe again, it is in us in a naturalistic sort of way, Hunger Games. <laughs> For survival, I've never read it or seen it, just know of it, the book, the movies. But that's not what we're called to be. <laughs> what kind of life is that? Except chaos, disorder, again, anarchy. In short, again, trying to make it as succinct as possible, every person for themselves. Kill or be killed. Again, Darwin said it, survival of the fittest. Is that what God wants for us? No. Is that what he gave Adam in the garden? No. At least not with that intention. But there was a lot that needed to happen between Adam, subsequently Eve, and then the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and then Jesus' second return that needed to happen, or Jesus' second coming, his return, that's going to need to happen, that needed to happen. I can say it in, in past tense because I, I know the end. God has revealed unto me the end from the beginning. I can read the word of God and see where it takes us. I can see why God chose to give us this word. I can also see why we're in the condition we're in. Humanity, that is. It's falling apart. It's disintegrating before our very eyes. If there is a correlation, it is just in that. Atheistic, agnostic means no God, capital G, no peace. Somebody is going to take over. There's going to be a ruling class. They will take everything to, for themselves, to themselves, and leave most individuals in squalor to live as animals. Why? Because that is unfortunately the human nature not God's intention for humankind, but without the word of God, as in Old and Testament written, as well as within us that believe in Jesus Christ, even the lost still, some remnant of the Holy Spirit, what should proceed forth from within us? The remnant, the little bit of conscience, the ability to empathize, to take on another viewpoint, point or perspective so that we might somehow in true love, agape love, godly love, God love to its fullest, most developed extent, love one another. It is. It's the two great commandments. Even as Old Testament, New Testament sort of are the two great commandments. No God, as Jesus said, and then second to that, and that there is but one. He is in charge. He is in control. Not you, not me. Otherwise, we'll kill each other off, fighting over what resources, what's limited. Because, again, I'll say this, because, again, <laughs> it goes in the same direction of what I, as what I've said before. Because if you take God out of the equation, the formula, there is nothing but the material and natural. There is no hereafter. All you get is what you get in the natural. You can talk about legacy. You can talk about inheritance. You can talk about, in some noble term, the future. But the truth of the matter is, if it is all true, as I've described it, and hopefully, as those of you who do know something about the Word of God, this is resonating with you. This is the biblical, this is the God paradigm I'm trying to share. It's all going to end in hell, on earth, or is the closest thing that it could come to before Jesus comes again. Book of Revelation. All that between Genesis and when Jesus comes again, as with the book of Revelation, I know the end from the beginning because I've read the book, the books of the Bible, but particularly the book of Revelation. I know where this ends. 
<laughs> and if you don't have the word of God alive in you, you're going to become an animal. You're going to operate in those ways. Now, there, you can try to put on, there will be some form, a false one, of the divine. Oh, we're noble. Uh, we'll never do that. We want utopia. <laughs> Somebody starts to tell you that, it's a lie from the very get-go because, again, going back to the first thing I said, where is it? It never has been. It never will be. The Word of God does not describe it that way except that it would include not only to know there is but one God, he is superior, he is in charge and control. That is the Old Testament message. That's the first of the two great commandments. The second is to love others as you love yourself. And if you know God, if you know what I'm sharing with you today, your focus is not going to be on storing up riches materially winning and succeeding, controlling and dominating, being part of the ruling class on earth. You'll be more generous. You'll have empathy. You'll be able to take other people's perspectives into consideration. You'll put yourself in their shoes, not in a hypocritical sort of way, which is really that, that's what I was trying to capture when I talked about it'll have a shape and a form that looks like Jesus, but it really won't be because it'll lack the Holy Spirit. It won't be genuine and authentic. It will be self-serving. Why self-serving? Because, again, if you don't have a God paradigm, if you're atheistic and agnostic to begin with, you're not going to seek either further knowledge of God. If you should, you would only do it in human dimension. You would not do it within the power that is the Holy Spirit, which once more comes only to rejuvenation, full power, complete within you in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I am willing to lay down my life for Christ. <laughs> what life? Really not much of one, but all this that we've been talking about, all the material concerns, the worries, the cares for this life, the attempts to be the ruling class, smarter than everybody else, more beautiful than everybody else, more athletic than everybody else, have more money than anybody else or everybody else. That's all this is about. That is in and of itself an attempt to tame <laughs> the order and chaos that is natural order. But only God can bring order to the chaos in the sense of taking something that is otherwise, again, of his creation and natural order and bring something good out of it. The Old Testament is to know there is but one God, to serve him, to believe in him, heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then secondly, to love others as you love yourself. Because until you resolve the first, at least to the extent, you may not know the word of God forward and backward. And I do believe that you can accept Jesus Christ without any foreknowledge because of the Holy Spirit that is within you, that is covering for you at that moment in time. But even in the New Testament, the Gentiles Paul immediately began to teach them the word. And who better than the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee among Pharisees? He knew the word, but he wasn't a hypocrite anymore. He wasn't a ruling class anymore. <laughs> On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ, who pointed out his infirmity. He was as blind as a bat. <laughs> he could not see any of the things that he thought he knew. And unfortunately, up to that point, as with the book of Revelation, the end time, knowing the end from the beginning, he was as much antichrist as he was Christ. Although the Old Testament foretells of Christ and prepares us in a way 
to fully actualize Christ by teaching us how the Word of God brings us into alignment with what we know in the flesh, even if it is out of obedience. At first, ask Abraham or look up Abraham in the Bible. His obedience was counted as faith. You can approach God in faith, but you still have to learn the same lesson of obedience. You don't run wild. If you're going to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and all that has gone into Jesus historically that occurred prior to the coming of Christ the first time, the advent of Christ, if you don't know that, then you really don't know what price is paid (laughs) because you're going to end up having to give that life up, total freedom, self-indulgence, lack of temperance, you're going to have to do something along the lines of the Old Testament or the battle within you is going to unfortunately go the way of the natural. Yes, the Holy Spirit is enough to be saved, but if we're going to enjoy enjoy the fullness of that, it is both great commandments. They both have to be applied. All the law and the prophets, Jesus says, are to be found in these two great commandments. Why? Because the law in a prophetic way establishes the promise. It not only validates it, it brings it about. Now, not to be legalistic, not to be unforgiving, not to be condemning or judgmental. That's not what it's about. And if there is any of that, let then it be the Holy Spirit that would do that in the best of measures to convict you from within. You don't need me. But until you agree, lawlessness and chaos, until you can accept the Old Testament has purpose in place, if nothing else but for the sake of the lost in our society or the immature or those that have not yet gotten to a place of sanctification in a bodily sense for the time that we are in, the dispensation we're in right now, so that we don't end up killing one another, sacrificing one another uh, on altars not of God, but of our own construction. For what sake? Again, the glorification of the human form as much we would try to polish it up, whitewashed sepulchers, there's a stench. There's rotting, rotten, filthy bones within. Our our marrow is compromised. Now, a lot of this isn't going to make sense to someone who doesn't know the word. Hopefully, there's enough of an audience that's listening right now, that understands all these things I'm saying are biblical. But they frame not only the God paradigm for us to define that, they bring us into, in a material dimension, conformity. They also bring the world into conformity with that. Now, that's not going to save us because it's still human interpretation. That's why the Apostle Paul uh, saw before his conversion on the road to Damascus, was not effective. (laughs) None of the ruling class, Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever, scribes, they were not high priests without the power of the Holy Spirit fully, I'm going to, for lack of a better word, unleashed within them. They were no better than we are today, as much as at least... They had some civility about them. And again, civilization, civility comes from such concepts as to know and at least at some, even if it is, albeit superficial level, apply those. Those, those rules, those laws. The Old Testament The Ten Commandments are the two great commandments. And the two great just synthesize those. And put those together, synthesize. Put those together into a more succinct sort of presentation. 
But the Old Testament did not know the second and the greatest of those commandments in the same dimension that we know it as with the New Testament, because that's really the second great commandment correlates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is the, again, mind of God. We mentioned that early on and the mind of Christ, but they're one and the same. The mind of Christ, though, is the fulfillment of the mind of God as he has intentioned it toward us as humans, but in practical application. If you're going to love others as you love yourself, you will eventually, ultimately have to lay down your life, either for Christ, which is a much easier thing, because if you lay it down for Christ, God promises you that you'll be resurrected. When? Certainly in the hereafter, but also the here and now. That's hard. Coming to Jesus, accepting Old Testament, accepting more than just being civil, we have to be willing to lay down our life lest we will still end up in our human iniquity and sin, our corruption and corruptibility, killing one another off. Altars, sacrifices, somebody is going to die. There is always going to be humanistically a ruling class, and there will never be a utopia on earth. I will say this now, without, not only without word of God, Jesus Christ, but when Jesus does come, he will establish that. But at that point, all the humanism and humanity will be gone. That's why I got away with saying that earlier, that there is no such thing, there never will be such thing in natural regard, because all of that's human. One day, when Christ comes again, when we are no longer bound in our humanity, we will understand it easily and fully. To have life, you give up your life. To love yourself, you have to love others, but you have to love others as God loves you, which is not necessarily that he doesn't care about your flesh or material existence, or he would not have given us the word of God to make it as positive as possible, this life. It's okay for there to be a kingdom of God on earth now, but it is only an image of lacking the true substance, an aspiration, until you really are willing to lay down your life, not for material regards even, and certainly not be afraid to do that in material regards, lest it would contaminate your ability to fully sell out to Jesus in the way that you need to on a spiritual or in spiritual dimension, until you're willing to go to your cross, until you're willing to allow Jesus to help you shoulder and carry the weight and the burden of this, higher thought, more noble aspiration, but more than that, this conversion of your heart. You are no longer bound in natural order. You are now bound to divine order, but it's order nonetheless. But it's much easier to accomplish when you choose to do that and you do that freely of your will than to even be forced to do that. And in the end, God gets his way. Why? Not because he's a mean God or cruel God. It's just he created the natural and our natural being is bound to that and we will go the way of the natural. But he also put his soul in us so that we might then know that even as the natural would die, to go the way of the worm, as with word, the natural dimensions of things, out of death comes life. It's a cycling. It's the way it is. It is eternal, but it's just the way it is. But lest we would die with that, our soul and spirit, as would then have made a choice, we would have made a choice to be more humanistic to ne the neglect of God, atheistic, agnostic, never seek him, never respond to the call or the, the unction of the Holy Spirit as he convicts us unto Christ, we're going to die. 
We're going to die in what is otherwise without God's word, chaos, anarchy. No God, with a capital G, no peace. But God gives us not only his spirit, but a place where our spirit can join with the Holy Spirit, be rejoined, and rest. We're far enough removed that though the flesh perisheth, the soul and spirit doesn't. We have resurrection power by being resurrection power. We are the spirit of life as God's word is life. But it's not a human conceptualization of that. It is a change of heart that comes only from accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and doing so, giving up your life for Christ. The sake of Christ, the call of Christ, the mission of Christ, the mind of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, to fulfill not only the Old Testament first commandment, but in fulfilling that, or even if it's a backfill, where you have to, once saved, understand what your salvation was really predicated upon, be able now to lay down your life for true freedom. Freedom from the bondage of the natural. It's not just a trick of the mind. It's not just a psychological operation. It's not just in some generic sort of form or fashion spirituality. Uh, transcendental meditation, uh, mindfulness, those type of things, because those are human dimensions. They're a better approximation than, than being upset all the time and living in, again, uh, such a fallen state or world or nature that you have no escape. But there is no ultimate escape except that you would in Jesus Christ. And then it's really not an escape. You're in your body, but that's not what you are. You have been transfigured. You are now spirit man in earthly body, not earthly man desiring some sort of spiritual escape. But once you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and negotiate this, not with him, <laughs> with yourself, and make that proclamation and commitment, you're going to understand the Old Testament. And you're going to cooperatively so, willfully so, in a chosen way, mindfully so, intentionally so, abide by the royal law. It won't be forced upon you. You'll accept it. Much easier to entreat when you have a will to, a desire to. And what is that? Again, in the shortest of forms, it's to be as Christ, to be Christ-like, but through, again, the power of the Holy Spirit, not of the human spirit. That's the distinction. Take God out of our culture, out of our civilization, out of our educational systems, systems of best systems of knowledge and thought, tutelage. As we teach children from kindergarten, preschool, all the way through graduate school, postgraduate studies, if we do not teach them the God paradigm, all they're going to be is humanists. And being a humanist, they're going to believe somehow that they could, and maybe even with good intentions, I don't know. Hard to imagine anything of a good intention if it doesn't have a God intention attached to it. Maybe they really do want the world to be <laughs> a better place, a utopia. But if you want to talk about embitterment, Yes, innocence might still be there, 
maybe some naivete. But what embitters most of us is to believe in something and then somehow never get it, never have it, worse yet, believe that we've been sold a lie. God is love. You don't know love except you would know God. If you know God, his word, you understand there is no love without a righteous sacrifice. Love is not self-serving, selfish. Love is a selling it all out for another person. And to the extent or degree that we would ever hope in natural dimensions to overcome the nature, the natural element, the human nature, which really is not to die. Again, getting back to Darwin, survival. Survival, survival, survival. But unless you are willing to lay down your life for another, you don't know love. Unless you're willing to sell out for the cause of love, you don't know love. Now, should a believer in Christ ever lift up sort of a weapon, arms against a non-believer? That's a tough one, too. I do believe the Bible, for the most part, certainly Old Testament, presented, don't be the aggressor, but you can certainly be a defender. But the New Testament really doesn't give us that liberty. If we turn the other cheek, we turn the other cheek. Do I want to die? No. Does it grieve me? Do I experience some, and I have to be very cautious when I say this, some aspect of righteous indignation when I see a bunch of immature, godless peoples who weren't taught, who weren't educated, or if educated in a more formal sort of dimension by the best institutions that we have, public and private schools, colleges, higher education, to be agnostic and atheistic, but to be lied to that somehow removing God is going to make utopia happen because we can think it up better than God could and we could somehow all get everything we want without a sacrifice. When that roof caves in on that paradigm... There's going to be some embittered people. They're going to be angry. They're going to be rioting in the streets. Is that promoting some degree of spoilage? <laughs> Not spoilage like their destructive bent, but they've been spoiled, <laughs> which is in and of itself destructive. Having been given everything, They've never really learned the price that comes with that in a natural way. Having ridden on the heels, <laughs> the coattails, so to speak, of generations of godliness that has come before, all of a sudden in their impetuous sort of orientation, their narcissistic sort of um, self-indulgence, they think, they're going to make the world a better place. But even so, how are they going about doing it? If you don't believe the way they believe, if you don't agree in what their doctrine is, they'll kill you in a heartbeat, literally and otherwise. And if I am right in my interpretation of what the Word of God tells me I should be wary of what the actual manifestation of the synagogue of Satan truly is, 
the ruling class is filled full of not only heathens, but demonic, satanic. And I know that sounds over the top. But it is all the things that word of God would characterize the devil to be. Liars, cheats, thieves, and worse yet, hypocrites. Are you going to die for Christ? Yes. I am sorry. There's no other answer. Will we get to see utopia? No. Even as believers? No, not until Jesus comes. What we get along the way, though, is the rest of knowing we're not doing it alone. That we have an advocate with the Father. We know the two great commandments and have found ourselves desirous to fulfill them. That we are not alone. There are remnants. There are others out there who are trying. What love we need in a material regard will come from them. We'll be attracted to them. They'll be attracted to us. We may have to do it somewhat secretively. We may do it in the streets, the public square. <laughs> we may be, who knows? You may be one of the two great witnesses. Me being the other? No, not really. That in the time of the Antichrist, the beast on the throne will be murdered. But even they were resurrected. And Jesus comes. Jesus will come back for us. God in Christ Jesus has given us all power and authority over all dimensions of life. Including the natural. But all of this evil needs to be purged and removed. We would pray that he would set us aside as the remnant, as the church, which I think he does, God. And again, he gives us Christ and the Holy Spirit operations that are necessary to make it through this very, very difficult period. Ours, our life, humanity. But at the same time, we will not have the kingdom of heaven on earth until Jesus comes back. A second time, the evil is removed. They destroy themselves along the way. And in the end, there will be no humanism left. There will be no humanity left to inspire humanism. We will all worship and serve the one, true, all-powerful God. We will do that with heart, mind, soul, spirit, all our being, whatever form that is, everything that we are. Those are human attributes, I know, but that's all we can define them in. It'll be a total sellout. And then whatever we have on earth, whatever God chooses to bring us, whatever form other than human he chooses to bring us back in, a resurrected body, we will be able to love others as we love ourselves or as we're loved. But that won't happen until Jesus comes again. In the meantime, my encouragement to you is don't chase down utopia accept the fact that there is none and then get on with your life. Do what you know you need to do, but always turn to the Holy Spirit. Never, never, never forsake the Holy Spirit. And should it come to a place where you would have to stand up and testify for Christ, know, Stephen, that though you may be stoned, 
No, Stephen, you may present such a beautiful oration, oratory, history lesson of why we're where we are and why Jesus has come to save us. They still may stone you. But if they do, you'll look up in heaven and you'll see Jesus on the right hand of the Father. And you'll know that he has gone there to secure a place for you. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the word of God, you've at some point given up in your embitterment. Somebody's fed you a line, a lie on love, and you've been hurt, disillusioned, disappointed. Let me just use this then as sort of a wake-up call. Because if you've listened to me from beginning to end, you're now accountable. What you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you do with the word of God, what you do with my best attempts to share and encourage you along life's way until Jesus comes again or you return home to be with the Lord, if he doesn't come in your lifetime, my lifetime, it's on you. Now, if you come see me, <laughs> I may not preach this sermon, at least not so overtly. But you got to know, whatever I do, I do as with the word of God. And that which I do, I do from that paradigm. I won't impose my beliefs on you, but I know that's reality. The word of God is reality. So, should you want to come see me, do so. If you just want to reach out to me, communicate, do so. I post the email address. You can always email me. You can always, again, join me for the next podcast. And what's the name of the podcast? What is Covenant's Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry? And who am I? I'm Dr. Michael David Clay. Hope you'll join us next time. Thanks, and certainly, God bless.